world and welcome to another episode of the South African Spies podcast. Today we talk about something that truly unites us as South African Indians and that is of course food. This is a two-course chat so let's dig into part one. We have a special guest Priyanka Chandadio joining us to express her passion, gratitude and journey with food. If you don't know who she is, she is the face behind Inspired by Pri's Food as well as Inspired by Pri's Travel. So hello Priyanka and welcome to the South African Spice Podcast. Hi Alicia, how are you doing today? I'm well, thanks. And how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm really excited to, you know, see what you have in store and I think you're doing such a great job, you know, just spreading love and awareness um, in the South African, especially the South African expat community. And um, I really hope that the right ears uh, tunes in today and, you know, uh, finds like a piece of solace and just finds a piece of home through this podcast. Thank you so much. That's my hopes as well. I really hope that everything we do here can be the voice that I was really looking to have going through this journey. I'm really excited to have you here because I'm sure many of the listeners and a lot of people I know follow your journey and follow your page and love the food that you make. I myself have made some of your recipes, but there are some things that you put out there that really make me miss home. I I do apologize in advance for all of the recipes that I do or am going to post in the future, Um, but you know, at least it gives you a sense of home. No, definitely. And I just keep all those. I keep a list of all those things because it makes me salivate. And as soon as I get back home, I've got a long list of food that I would need people to make for me. Oh, well, nice. <laughs> at least at least they know that you are still, uh, you know, part and parcel of, of Durban and, you know, you're missing it. No, definitely. So Priyanka, before we get into the good stuff, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is the creator behind the content? So my name is Priyanka, um, you know, like you introduced me. I'm from Durban, born and bred in Durban. And um, I'm pretty sure we're going to go into a little bit about my background. But a couple years ago in 2020, my husband and I, uh, we did a lot of traveling and COVID hit and we had a lot of travel that was planned. And we decided at that point in time that, you know, it would be really cool to go and book an Airbnb uh, somewhere cool in the world, like in Asia, and, you know, just stay there for about three months as like sort of like locals and just invest in ourselves, invest in the culture, invest in the community, see what's the community all about, not from a tourist perspective, but from a more local perspective. And unfortunately, you know, um, with the pandemic, it wasn't really in our favor to travel at that point in time. So uh, what we decided to do about a year later was we decided to travel within our own country. And we had a plan of moving to Cape Town for a couple months. uh, And we didn't really expect to end up staying for a year and a half. But what happened in Cape Town was I was exposed to so much of food, so much of fresh seasonal food, so many different restaurants, apart from the beauty that Cape Town holds in South Africa. Uh, I just saw food through a different perspective. Um, There's so many wine farms in Cape Town. And, you know, when you see how they have access to produce that's fresh, uh, the things that they make with the produce, starting from a simple cheese board, you know, like 
the grapes are harvested from the farm or you'll find like really fresh cheeses and there's always a story behind the soil and uh, pretty much just Cape Town itself, the winelands. And having access to all of the amazing restaurants, um, that really did inspire me. And at the time I had um, my normal Instagram page. I think most people just go on Instagram, they post things that are trending or they post their family, their friends, what they do, if they're going on holiday, if they're eating something that, you know, is a little bit extraordinary. They want to be able to showcase that on their social media. And I decided to create a completely new page in 2000 and I think it was 21 December. It was whilst we were on a little vacation, it was a staycation in France Hook and we booked for a couple nights and I was like, you know what, I think I'm done sharing food on my, on my normal page and I just want to share food like from a different perspective on a food page. So my husband was like, yeah, sure, no, you know, go ahead. It's like almost the new year. Maybe you can work on it. No plans to to create, um, you know, a page that was going to eventually touch so many lives. That was really not my intention. My intention was just to be like a food dump kind of a, a kind of a place yeah, and yeah. page. And what started to happen was is I post a couple of recipes. I started the page so quickly, like in that conversation, I was like, oh, here's the page, you know, and he's like, you already created it. I was like, yeah. So he went and followed me. And um, I created the page. We went and we did some sightseeing. I posted a couple pictures. Um, about a couple weeks later, I started posting like some of my meals. And people would often ask me to share the recipes. I would often just cringe within my inside myself because I was like, I don't really want to do this. Like it, it takes so much of time. Yes, I yes. don't really cook like that. Like you know, what if I give you the wrong measurements? And um eventually you know it just came to me so naturally and a lot more to who Priyanka is because a lot of my a lot of my dishes which I'm sure we'll speak about has been inspired by my family but mm -hmm. ultimately I've, I've been surrounded and I've grown up in a family who has really been passionate about food in different senses which um, like I said you know I'm pretty sure we will touch on this, this podcast today uh, but most importantly, um, food has been something that I believe is my inheritance. Most people look forward to an inheritance like in the form of money. But for me, I feel like it, it's in my genes. It's in my DNA. It's been passed down to me by my family, by generations. And I'm just so grateful to have inherited this, this wonderful passion. That is so beautiful. What a beautiful thing to say. Like, you know, food being your inheritance. I think that's... That's so beautiful. Does that mean that you have always been a foodie? I would say yes and no. I think my love for food and my appreciation stemmed from a really young age. You know, I'm really into personal development. And one of the books that I read um, about seven years ago was called The Magic. And in the book, the book is ultimately about gratitude. And they start off by saying, you can be a grateful person by just saying, please and thank you but are you really thankful and I don't think that when I was growing up I I don't think I understood how my programming was when it came to food and the gratitude that actually came from it because I think I was like subconsciously programmed uh, for food to to be in my life um, so I think as I got older that is when the true side of the foodie kicked in 
But I guess, you know, nowadays we live in a society where we are all on social media and people generally would call themselves a foodie because, you know, they're eating out often, they they prepare to pay for fine dining, they prepare to experience good food. Uh, but now, uh, that's why I said yes and no. Now I would consider myself a foodie. When I was younger, like maybe about 10 years ago, I don't really think I would be considered as a true foodie. I think I was just somebody who appreciated good food and to eat good food. Uh, but if we had to speak about now, I would say yes, I am. I, I would consider myself as a true foodie. Yeah, I agree. I think your your view on these things and your perspectives on how we look at these things grow as we grow as individuals. We also realize as we get older, what we enjoy, what we appreciate, what we're interested in, and you know, those kind of things that really end up defining us. Of course, yeah, 100%. So we, you know, spoke about food being your family inheritance. On the topic of family, what do you know about your own family's heritage and history and how they made their way from India to South Africa? Look, Alicia, I know when we spoke a week back, you seemed so interested in um you know, your family and your bloodline. And I know you've done your own personal homework to investigate about your your past and your, your bloodline and the generations that came before you. Um, I wish that I could tell you more about what I know. Uh, but in terms of, you know, the little that I do know, I know that I'm a fourth generation uh, governor uh, in South Africa. So my father's third generation, uh, my grandparents are second generation, and my great grandparents are first generation. And I know that my dad has um, two other siblings. He has two brothers. One of them lives in the United States of America, and he uh, absolutely loves South Africa. He's very South African at heart, even though he's been living overseas for many years now, decades, in fact, um, he still has a South African accent and he somehow got in touch or downloaded a Excel spreadsheet that had all of the ships listed that entered uh, KwaZulu Natal, uh, you know, in the in the 19 uh, in the 19 uh, in the 1860s, I think. Yes. So he somehow tracked uh obviously my granny's going to be 85 this year uh, my grandfather he passed away about uh nine years now it's going to be nine years this year so he didn't really have a lot to work with especially you know nowadays if, if our parents had to go to their parents and obviously being millennials their parents don't really have the best memory from what he remembered and from the 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 knowledge that he gathered from his cousins, he was able to somehow uh, pinpoint the ships that my granny's family came to KwaZulu-Natal on and my grandfather's family came to KwaZulu-Natal from. So in terms of heritage-wise, um, I know that they did arrive on two ships. I also know that my granny's family is Telugu. So my granny is Telugu-speaking. Her family is from a slightly, as my uncle would say, a slightly higher cost than my grandfather's family in terms of wealth and their stance in a community. Uh, my granny's family is from Andhra Pradesh. So she is Telugu speaking. I've been to India before, so I know that that region does speak Telugu, uh, you know, quite predominantly. Whereas my grandfather's family is from Madras. I don't really have too much knowledge of that, but I know that he's Tamil speaking, uh, never really spoke the language, but he obviously comes from a Tamil speaking background. 
my granny and my grandfather, I, like I said, you know, I was having this conversation with her a day before my birthday. And I said to her, you know, uh, what do you know? Like, have you seen your family? Do you know your family? And I, she and my grandfather went to India where they went to the village that my granny's family was from and they met some of the people that were there. But unfortunately, they didn't really know anyone. But the people did show them where their families were from. And I know that they donated a temple in that area, in that village, uh, you know, as we're speaking about it. But other than that, I wish I could tell you more. Uh, I do have my mom's side, though. Um, my mom's side, my uncle, he's very involved, I did tell you, with the indentured laborers, the heritage center that's here in Durban, in, in KwaZulu-Natal, where he's invested a lot of his time into finding out, and he's written books about the Indian settlers, about the laborers that came from India, their hardships that they went through. And as of recently, he somehow wrote an article about my granny's mom being from the Peter Marisburg area, so from the Cateridge area. <laughs> and I believe that they owned farms. Uh, but other than that, you know, I wish I could tell you more. I now do have access to him in the sense that, like, you know, his knowledge and his findings. So that is certainly something that I would like to look more into because I think that it's 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 something that is very uh, fragmented in terms of generations. You'll hear your grandparents say something about their parents or their grandparents. And it's only our parents that we can depend on that knowledge. And as our parents get older, you know, they obviously start to forget. And then we are left with kind of like a broken telephone kind of a game. Because there's very small pieces of the puzzle that we're left with. And I honestly feel like we still have the ability to kind of put those pieces together. There is a sense of hope. However, I do feel like if you are not someone who has access to that type of knowledge, you know, your bloodline, your generational bloodline kind of just diminishes, you know, as you get older and as your family expands. Yeah, definitely. But I think the fact that you do know as much as you do about your heritage and your family's history is a lot. You may not think it is, but it's more than a lot of other people I know actually know about theirs. So I think that's fascinating. That is such a good story. It's such good stories also to pass on to the next generation. 100%, yes. Yeah, it's got me thinking now on all the other topics that this could go on to. But I'm going to keep this to what we meant to talk about, and that is like food. So we spoke about your family, and you spoke a little bit about your inspiration for your love for food. Can you just elaborate a little bit on that for me? So like, what inspired your love for food? as far back as you can remember. So I spoke about like generational inheritance in terms of the passion, but I feel that my parents are divorced, so they got divorced when I was two. I was very lucky to have stayed with my mom and my dad's parents or my grandparents. So we all lived in one household and my dad would visit us every single day. My grandparents are really old school in the sense that they love fresh produce. I think a lot of the good food that I was exposed to back then has influenced the way I approach myself when it comes to food and, and the, the food that I levitate towards mainly because of how, as, as I said, I was programmed as a kid. My grandparents believed in a lot of fresh produce. Uh, so they would often take me to, I'm not sure how, how familiar you are of 
uh, Durban. But in Chatsworth, there's a market called Bangladesh Market. It opens every Friday and it also opens on a Saturday. And my grandparents' weekly routine would be Bangladesh Market and then at that point in time, there was uh, Checkers Hyper and Trade Center and we'd go to those three stores and do all of our bulk shopping. And my grandfather, his mother stayed with us. So she was very old school. I remember her wearing a sari. I remember her making mealy bread. I remember her cleaning vegetables. Um, I remember her loud, prominent voice. And, you know, I think because my grandparents had access to her and she cooked a lot of good food, that's where a lot of the goodness came from. Now, my mom, on the other hand, she lived with us um, and my grandparents. And she comes from a completely different background when it comes to her family. So my mom didn't know her father. She was brought up by my granny, so single mom. And my great granny, my grandmother's mom, she worked um, as a fruit and veg businesswoman. And she'd sell fruit and vegetables when she was younger to put um, you know, all of her kids through school and to provide for the family. So my granny, she also worked in town and i think if you know town back then it was a lot different to how it is now so on on her way to work and on route back she would buy a lot of fresh vegetables her brother who was in turn like a father figure to my aunt and my mom who lived with my granny they had access to him as a fatherly figure he worked on south marine as a professional chef so he would often go overseas and he'd be on the ship for a couple months and he'd come back and he would bring them, you know, all of these. Now what we know, like, you know, like you get all of these noodles, these cup noodles. I'm talking about like maybe 25 years ago, maybe even before that, because I mean, the, I would I would have been about seven at the time, but I must have been like about at least five or six. That's when he started bringing that. And I only remember cup noodles to have come into existence like about 15 years ago. Uh, because we only had access to the packet noodles. To Maggie, Maggie, Maggie noodles. noodles. Exactly. He would, he would bring lots of fantastic things, lots of sweets, lots of different sauces, condiments. And a huge part of his uh, last few years um, with us, he lived with my mom. And my mom, I stayed with my mom and he would often cook very different Western food. My mom also stayed with my grand, like I mentioned, but a part of her schooling, you know, career, most people, I'm pretty sure you'll hear where they'll say, you know, they lived with their cousins or, you know, their families like kind of expanded that way. And it was okay. So my mom lived with my granny's brother, so her cousins, and my granny's brother worked in Tafta, also in the culinary industry. My granny's other brother was also working at a hotel, started his own catering business. So to say that the love for food has been something that's passed down, I think is really an understatement because my mom's family has just been exposed to food. My mom also did a course in, uh, with Christina Martin. So she's always loved food. But growing up, what I remember predominantly was having access to my grandparents. My mother always had the Food Network channel on like a religion. It was like, always on it was like her favorite channel even if she wasn't watching it it was on and today whenever i go so we don't have dstv by choice we just have netflix um we have access to streaming dstv but when i go to my in-laws place or if i go visit my grand 
and I have access to the remote. The first channel that I put on is the Food Network channel, just to be inspired, you know. So, yeah, I think that's where a lot of my inspiration has come from. I do believe subconsciously I've been programmed because of the food that I've been around to naturally just take to food, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. It seems like it was a very deeply rooted passion. Being exposed to such things from such a young age, it was kind of inevitable for you to go down this route in some way or the other. So I think so. And it's so funny because, you know, my my grandfather's side of the family, up until today, he still has a lot of his sisters that are alive. They still cook fresh vegetables, fresh food, fresh produce. Um, I remember one of his brothers who's late always brought the freshest of fish for us. And he used to bring like fish that was over a meter long. And they would cut this fish up. It would be deep fried in masala. That would be part of the meal. And then there'd be fresh fish curry. My mother's side of the family, you know, almost every single grandchild that has come from my great granny, someone in their bloodline has gone into cooking. Like my granny's niece, she bakes cakes for a living. Uh, my mom's, my granny's other niece from the other brother who was in the catering industry, uh, has her own catering business today. My mom's other cousin, she creates like fondant flowers for cakes. My mom used to volunteer at the Cancer Association. She used to cook in huge bain-maries for the Cancer Association. So it's definitely something that has been passed down uh, you know, generation by generation. I mean, I know my mom's first cousins, the twin cousins that I told you about, the one that works part-time at the Heritage Center, his brother and him have a huge love for South Indian food. The one brother just went to India in December, did this whole tour for his book and really found a lot of fascination in how people cook. The other brother has done a series with me, a South Indian series where he self-taught himself from his first time going to India, from YouTube videos, how to make proper idli, how to make dosa, how to make, you know, paniyaram, how to make samba. So 100%, it's, it's definitely in our DNA. That's amazing. I think it's safe to say that you are exactly where you are meant to be. 100%, I completely agree. Yeah, you're definitely where you're meant to be. Talking about all the food that you grew up with, and I think it's so amazing that you had food made by like your great grandparent that is something else to be able to witness that generation how they did things and what they made and the things that really got passed down because you're able to actually see that what was like your favorite foods growing up with all that fresh produce and you know everything that you were exposed to if you have to think of a couple of dishes that really stand out from your childhood or things that you really wanted to eat what would those be I think back then I specifically remember eating live chicken. I don't eat it now. I absolutely don't eat it. Like I just, it's not me. I know probably someone's on the call <laughs> and they're like, I love, love live chicken. But I remember eating the feet. I remember eating, you know, the the wings. I remember the chicken just being so absolutely amazing. Um, I remember dishes. My grand had the stainless steel dish with this huge ladle and she'd make the best doll I've ever eaten in my entire life and I'm trying to get her to to recreate that but back you know when you're braising doll after you boil your doll you've got your onions and your curry leaves and your chilies she would make this mixture in a big batch Alicia she would cut up onions almost 
I would say about one and a half meters, a table that was one and a half meters by half a meter. She'd layer it with newspaper. She'd cut onions and she'd fry the onions with, you know, with manja, with mustard seeds. She'd put um, curry leaves and that was her mixture that she had. And she'd lay it out in the sun to dry and she'd package it in a huge container. And then whenever she would fry her dal, she would just add that mixture in. I also love crab curry. I wish I ate it often now. I mean, it kind of makes me disappointed that I don't know how to clean crab. I mean, even though we live in a place that, you know, you can just get crab from a butchery or from a freshery. Um, I really need my dad to teach me how to cook uh, crab curry. Uh, I know how to cook it, but how to clean it. We ate a lot of seafood. My grandparents owned a seafood restaurant before I was born. So fresh seafood is something that was really special to them. Uh, and yeah, lots of curries, mutton curry, uh, chicken curry. And I think she, my grand made the best chutney. Like on fasting days, she'd make chutney for me with just deep fried chips, like plain potato chips. Uh, that for me was something that, you know, memories that I hold on to. And even though I can create most of those dishes, recreate most of them, there's just something about their hands that I wish, you know, could have like been passed down to me. Of course, my passion is obviously really up there, but there's something about an older generation's hands when it comes to cooking that just like translates in their food and it hits differently, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I completely get it. I mean... Obviously, now me being here, I've got to make everything that I'm feeling for myself. But what I wouldn't give for a fresh chicken curry cooked by anybody but me. Or like sour herbs doll. Like you mentioned doll now. Oh, I'd give anything for sour herbs doll. And I don't even like like herbs and stuff. Like I'm not a vegetable person. It was something very difficult for me to eat. But I'd give anything for vegetable curries made from anybody at home. Whether it's my in-laws house or my mother's house. I would gladly have. <laughs> no, I hit differently. You know, we I moved out of 25. I lived outside of Durban for about six, six and a half years. And even though part of those six and a half years, I lived in Johannesburg and I lived in Cape Town. There were certain things when you're in a new place that you crave and you want that you don't have access to. And when you come back home, you just have this different appreciation for it. And even though we lived in Johannesburg and it wasn't that too far off from Durban, initially when I moved, I didn't know where to get certain things from. Mm -hmm. I remember finding a Nagia's like two years into living in in Johannesburg and it was like it was like finding gold. It was like a lottery ticket because the moment you walk in you found basmati rice, you got hit by the sense of different spices that you don't have to worry about going to Durban to get. There were sweetmeats. There was like jalebi. You know, as soon as you walk into the vegetable aisle, there was all of these vegetables that you'll never get from a local supermarket here. Very rarely would you find it unless you live in like, maybe like an Indian area, uh, if you are from Durban. And it just hit differently. There was there was frozen dal. There was frozen vadamix. It just was amazing. And I'm pretty sure if you had to have access to that, it would make you miss home a little less. It definitely would. I've been struggling to find something simple as uh, samosa par because during fasting time, it would be so nice and easy to just have samosas in the freezer and take out and, you know, just make as snacks. So now I've been using like a different kind of pastry, but 
things like that that I took for granted, even being in Joburg, that we were able to find because obviously my mother had kept cooking the things that she grew up with. Um, but things like that that I got used to making when I lived on my own, I can't make now here, which is extremely difficult. But if I had access to that and pata that didn't come in a can, I would definitely be a happier person. <laughs> I'm sure. I know when we lived in Cape Town, I also didn't know where to get par, but I was in a, a lot more better situation because, you know, there's a lot of Cape Townians that do eat samosas. So I was able to, to get my hands on par, but then I made my own homemade samosas and it's just a different feeling. Like sometimes you really do crave it. And I don't think people understand the important role that food has in our community and our society and our upbringing until you don't have access to it. I don't even think I understand because compared to your living situation, right? Not, not that it's bad, but I mean, like, you know, the limited stuff that you have access to. I think most South Africans, especially, um, you know, the South Africans here in Durban, most of them would appreciate food much, much more had they gone somewhere and not have ad- had access to it. Absolutely. I think you only realize when you don't have access to it how much of your life it plays a role in. Because I didn't really think about it because you always think, you know, when you go out to eat, you're not going out to an Indian restaurant because you're so used to having that food at home. So you go out and you eat like your pastas and your pizzas and steaks and whatever else that you have, grilled meats and stuff. So yeah, definitely. It's a it's a very new new newly found appreciation that I have for food and I am I wait to come back to to South Africa so that everybody can just cook all the nice things and I can take advantage of all the good stuff. The only thing is I need to do is plan a bit better to come back during like a cavity time because there's also just something about the temple food. I will eat any vegetable that is made at the temple. Oh, that just hits differently all the time. I we recently just had some vegetable biryani and I don't know if it's the way the prayer is conducted on Kavadi that like, you know, you're just longing for a good, nice, hot piece of food. But it's just something different. Like temple food on the fire outside cooked is just simply amazing. It just can't be recreated any other time. I'm telling you. It's, oh, I miss it. But I did see that you had a really good biryani for Kavadi. It was lovely. It was, it was smoky. It was the day was such a scorcher, but the biryani was just as hot, and it just it didn't even matter. Like the doll hits differently. Um, I don't know whether it's just maybe it, because it's a prayer time. Like you know, maybe just like God just puts His hand in there or has a hand in the food or uses the people who are making the food to translate that that love and that energy and that spiritualness in the food. Yeah. It's, it's just unexplainable. I mean, you could cook a, a curry outside on the fire and it just, it doesn't hit that way. No, not at all. <laughs> and that's a wrap for today's episode. Stay tuned as we continue this food journey with Priyanka in part two of this conversation. Until then, shop sweet and aware. Lots of love.